Church. I always love when we start a new series because I never know what the bumper video is going to look like. So it's kind of exciting every, every week. So uh, has the uh, tryptophan coma worn off yet, or are you still working on leftovers? Yes? Yes, I love leftovers. My favorite part of Thanksgiving. No, it's not my favorite part. It's my second favorite part. I like the turkey when it comes right out of the oven. It's awesome. Well, I am glad that you are all here. Before I get rolling, I want to draw your attention to the table in the back. Um, I mentioned this last week, but we are doing um, uh, an angel tree uh, with Prison Fellowship. So if you are interested in sponsoring one of the um, children with a gift, um, there's a little angel. There's, there's Vanna White Dan in the back uh, displaying that for everybody. So... Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I think um, uh, Ms. Shana will be back there after service too, can answer your questions. And um, uh, the deal is, is that you pull one off the tree and you find out the information, you bring it in by the, what do we say, the, six, uh, the 18th, I think. 18th was the last day that we'd be collecting, but we'll collect um, gifts and make sure that they're collated and get to the right spot and all those things. There's a little place for you to sign up. Yes, you're yeah. waving. Uh, wrapped, yes, wrapped, yes, wrapped presents, that would be great. So uh, if you have any questions, ask uh, Shana or any one of us, we're happy to help you, but uh, we've got 15 names that we've had a chance to contact the parents, we're still waiting on some people to get back to us, and so hopefully there'll be a few more next week as well, so just FYI, if you miss one this week, that's okay, we'll probably have some more next week if all goes well, so keep that in mind. Anyway, um, trying to just help out some parents who still love their kids even though they're incarcerated. So keep that one in mind. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this time of year. And uh, it's kind of fitting that um, the first Sunday in Advent is right after Thanksgiving. Um, It seems like it's like quicker. I understand that. But on the other hand, I'm like, I really like when that happens because to me, the first holiday in the holiday season is Thanksgiving, and then we just do this dead sprint all the way through um, New Year's Eve, which is kind of exciting. But normally speaking, people have certain <clears throat> traditions that they um, associate with this time of year. I mean, how many of you have some type of traditional food item at some point during the Christmas holiday? whether it's a cookie or a dinner or something you do on Christmas Eve or something. Yeah, most people have those, those kinds of traditions. Um, and if it's not food, then there's certain rituals that you do. Everybody has these traditions. Now, I remember as a kid um, certain things that we always did. So Christmas Eve, we typically had a very specific food that was um, uh, ethnic to our family that we would eat on Christmas Eve, and, and we would always go to the Christmas Eve service, and it was always a late night service, so I think we were done by 11 or midnight or something like that, and there was always candles, and there was all lights and all kinds of, and I just, I just remember those kinds of rituals that we did. We have a very specific way that our family would go into the, the living room where the Christmas tree was, where we all, you know, uh, I think my mom had her hands on my eyes and my dad had his hands on my mom's eyes. And I'm hoping my dad kept his eyes open so that we wouldn't trip. But anyway, uh, since that never happened, it was pretty good. 
And, um, and then it was kind of like release the hounds. Or in my, in my family, because I'm an only child, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does, right, yeah. I'm an only child. Release the hound. And it was kind of like, do you ever see one of those cartoons where the wrapping paper's flying up in the air? Yeah, that was me. I'm pretty sure whoever came up with that animation lived next door to us and saw me in Christmas morning. And, and that was the thing, is that we, we did gifts on Christmas morning not like the unwashed heathen who do it on Christmas Eve. I'm just kidding. No, you can do it on Christmas Eve. Whatever you want to do is fine. And, uh, but there's these things that we associate with this time of year. And I had all of these, these memories and these traditions. And then you get married. And it changes, right? Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because you end up creating new traditions, new things that we try to do together as a family so that you, you kind of make these, um, these uh, memories for your kids and, and for yourself. And, and there's this change that, that occurs. And of course, you, there's always this nod to the past, but it's new um, as well. And, and likewise, I think culture changes um, I, I did a little research, and I thought this was very, uh, a very fascinating thing. At the turn of the last century, so around 1900, only like 20% of homes in the United States had Christmas trees. Did you know that? I mean, 20%. One in five households had it by around 1900. And now, uh, I was just talking to someone ahead of time, went to get our Christmas at the local Christmas tree farm up in Owasso, and you're seeing lots of them go down the road. Kind of reminds me of deer season in Michigan. You know, you see people going down. <laughs> anyway, so, so you've, you've got culture shifting and changing how we understand things. And certain practices go in and out of vogue a little bit. And so, um, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, maybe you decorate your house for Christmas and maybe you set up your, your, uh, your stockings by the fireplace. And if you don't have a fireplace, maybe you do it on your railing. And if you don't have a railing or a fireplace, I don't know what you do. I'm not sure. So there's different things to do along with that. But, but these, these things change and certain ideas go in and out of, out of vogue. You know, take Advent. Um, the season that we're entering, the first Sunday in Advent. And it's the reason why we, we do this, is that Advent in the church has long had this history of marking time with candles, and we'll be talking about that periodically as we go throughout the series. But there's been radical changes in the season of Advent um, over the centuries. And it's very likely that the way we practice Advent today would be completely unrecognizable to the early church. It's just so vastly different the way they did things versus the way we do things now because culture shifts and changes. And um, would it surprise you to know that Christmas may have actually been a minor holiday for centuries? Minor holiday. I thought that was an interesting thing. I just presumed everybody, you know, kind of did the whole, you know, Christmas big extravaganza thing. Now, there's a couple things that, that I want to, to mention about that, and I think this is important. First of all, uh, the reason why Christmas may have been minor is because it was eclipsed on the, on the uh, church calendar by something called Epiphany, 
which happens on January 6th. Now, Epiphany is that time in the in church calendar when the ancient church celebrated God revealing Jesus to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And so when we talk about this, we're talking about the visit of the Magi, because the Magi that we find in, in the, the Christmas story were non-Jewish people who had seen the star and you know, came on their camels, and there was only three of them, of course. Just kidding, the text doesn't say that, right? The song does, but the text doesn't. And that happens a lot too, by the way. We, we're, our ideas of Christmas are shaped by, by the, the actual um, hymns that we sing or the carols that we sing. Um, did you know that the, the angels didn't go away singing? They went away saying. And it's a really interesting thing because really what we find is that there's no singing in the heavenly realms until Jesus comes again in the book of Revelation, which is another whole mess with your theology kind of a thing, your understanding of Christmas. But we've got these certain traditions that have, have shaped us and formed us. But this notion of, of epiphany I think is really interesting because later on the church also tied epiphany to when Jesus was baptized. Because he came up out of the water, the dove descended, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, right? And so he was revealing there was an epiphany of sorts. And so the ancient church would often um, feel that epiphany was more important than Christmas. It wasn't that Jesus just came, but that he was revealed to not to just Jews, but to, to everyone. And so that shaped their understanding. Um, um, I'm going to talk more about that in, in just a moment. Now here's the other thing too, and I think this is really important. Over the years, there's been a, a criticism that I've noticed that Christians have co-opted certain pagan holidays around the winter solstice. Maybe you've, maybe you've read some of these. And I, I swear it usually happens this time of year. It comes up on Facebook and it shows up in the news feeds and some author somewhere writes something about, about how, you know, you know, Christians have taken over certain pagan holidays. Well, here's the deal. In the Mediterranean world, there was a, a festival that happened around the winter solstice called Saturnalia, and it worshipped the god Saturn, and it happened roughly this, around the time of the winter solstice. And then also you have um, other pagan holidays, especially in the Nordic realms and Germanic tribes of Yuletide, in fact, we even kind of equate those two words, don't we? When we talk about Christmas time, we talk about Yule and Yule logs, and there are certain customs and traditions that, that kind of get assimilated into the Christian tradition that, yeah, probably had some of its um, origins in, in other um, cultures. And so the criticism goes like this, a Christian missionary somehow stole the holidays uh, to you know, convert pagans, um, to Christianity. The problem with that is that the, the truth is not so neat and tidy, as is often the case with historical, historical fact. It's likely that this idea of Christmas overtaking certain pagan holidays developed over a period of time with Jesus actually coming in and redeeming those celebrations. I mean, people who began to believe in Jesus be, began to see how the winter solstice and how Christ could actually redeem it. And so we now have a different holiday developed over a period of time. And, and the, other, the other thing that I find very troubling about this criticism that we hear of, of Christians is that there is little or no direct evidence 
um, supporting the claim that somehow Christians looked at you know, the Yuletide and said, well, no, we're, we're going to make that Christian so that the pagans can't do what they do. There, there's no evidence of that at all. None. There's no written account of any of those types of things. And so to suggest that there was some type of mm, sinister plot to take over pagan holidays is just untrue. It's just not there. So when you see those, you can read them. It's fine. It might be interesting to you to read, but there's not really a whole lot of evidence to support it. So like most of history, again, tradition and practice evolve and change over time. And it's nebulous and it's messy and it's not easy to understand, which kind of makes it real. Kind of like my life, kind of like your life too, I would imagine. So here's a couple things that we do know. And I want you to see kind of the progression of this because I found this really fascinating. So in the fourth and fifth centuries, you had uh, the Advent season and Christmas was kind of this little minor holiday, this little feast, and then you had Epiphany, and it was related to the Magi. And about this time, Advent was actually 40 days of prayer and fasting and penance. Because over a period of time, like when we get to, I think, of the 6th century, um, you have Epiphany, because it's related to Jesus' baptism, as kind of the prime time for new Christians to be baptized. So you'd have this 40-day period of prayer, prayer, fasting, and penance before new believers would be baptized. Does that make sense? So you've got this, this kind of uh, set of rituals and, and, and uh, practices that went on for you know, a few hundred years, and then Epiphany was the time to get baptized. We, we think it's cool to do it at Easter, right? But back then, it was Epiphany. You were, you were being baptized at the same time Jesus would have been baptized. You know, it was that kind of idea. It was, it was really exciting. Now, the problem um, with that is that Lent comes as a, another 40 days of prayer and fasting uh, usually starts in like February, March, depending on when the Easter holiday is. And so you kind of have these big, long seasons of prayer and fasting back to back, and I think people got tired of it, to be honest. Didn't we just do prayer and fasting? Well, yeah, we did, but you know, it's Lent, and well, what do I have to give up for that? Just give up chocolate. It's fine. You don't have to give up anything else, right? No. And I think what, what occurs is that the, the idea of fasting during Advent kind of fell out of practice to a certain degree. So by the 16th century, so towards the end of the Middle Ages, you have something else that's developing. You have Advent, and then you have Christmas, which is on the 25th of December, and then Epiphany, which is actually on the 6th of January. And so what you have is the 12 days of Christmas. Yes, partridge in a pear tree, that 12 days of Christmas, actually occurring between the Christmas holiday and Epiphany. And in fact, the night before Epiphany is called the 12th night. You perhaps have read that uh, a certain uh, play by a certain famous playwright named William Shakespeare called the 12th night. That's what it's based off of. And so you have this long tradition that not only made it into the church, but has made it into the secular um, theater as well. This was a common practice that went on. So you have this Advent season, you have the Christmas holiday, which is gaining some importance, and then the 12 days, 12 days of Christmas. Then, by the 18th and 19th century, Christmas becomes a bigger holiday. You have Advent, Christmas on the 25th, 
the 12 days. And by the way, what's really interesting is on Epiphany is the day that all your Christmas decorations come down. And some of you get all upset about Christmas music being played at, you know, before, before Thanksgiving. Well, some of us, we like to go a little bit longer. So January 6th is perfectly acceptable for you to keep your tree up. Now, if it's still up by, you know, February 6th, we probably need to have a chat about that because you don't likely have a green tree anymore. You probably have a stick, right, at that point, at least in our house because we have kittens and they like to climb. Pretty much the green stuff gets all over the place. And Although it's really fun if you have a squirt gun. Just saying. So, Anyway, so we have this idea of, of, of epiphany that's going on. And then, the, around the end of the 19th century, Christmas becomes a much more important holiday. And then you have the advent, or the beginning of, I should say, the beginning of consumerism. And you see the rise of the, uh, specifically the American, but also the worldwide retail organizations who begin to make Christmas a big marketing thing. And so by the 20th century, Advent is a bigger deal, Christmas Eve is a big deal, Christmas is a big deal, and you only hear about Epiphany in the church. And it's really kind of this evolution where the 12 days of Christmas is relegated to a Christmas carol that nobody likes to sing because it goes on forever until you get the people who come up with different alternative versions of it. If you want to hear mine, I'll give it to you afterwards. I won't do it now. But... It involves coffee. You'll love it. <laughs> so um, you have the Advent season, and then you have Christmas. No 12 days of Christmas, really, an epiphany. Which, by the way, I think we ought to bring back the 12 days of Christmas. Not the song, but the actual practice. I think it would be kind of cool. And so by the 21st century, things have changed so much that the Advent season actually starts with Black Friday in, in many respects. You have Christmas Eve, Christmas, and it's this dead run until New Year's. And we don't hear about epiphany anymore unless you're in a church that does high church, where it's part of the liturgical, liturgical uh, calendar. So your, your main um, kind of focal points are Black Friday, Christmas Eve, and of course New Year's Eve, when all the partying begins. But, but do you see how things have evolved over a period of time? Things, again, fall in and out of, out of practice, and, and pretty soon, you know, there'll be certain things that will bring back up again. But before, New Year's wasn't a thing. Epiphany was. Even, like I said, eclipsed the Christmas holiday. And so now we have something entirely different with different practices and different things that we do from, from year to year. And here's the thing that I, I kind of want you to remember through all of this is that, you know, despite all of that, there are some things that remain the same. There are some things that are constant throughout all of the centuries. And the first one is very simple. It's the human being's need to celebrate. We have a need to celebrate as human beings. It's very normal. It's very real. We have this need to express some joy, especially in groups of people. And the second thing that's consistent through all of this, that's right, the second thing that remains the same, is God's love. God's love doesn't change through all of this. Despite how we practice it, the number one thing is that God loves us and the baby that we wait for is evidence of that, that God came to earth to be with us, to be with you at Christmas time. Hmm. By the way, 
Advent itself um, means coming. It means coming, the coming of something. It comes from the Latin word adventus, to come. It has roots in the Greek word parousia, to come. And so what we're doing is we're waiting, we're marking time with calendar, uh, can- candles as we await the coming Messiah. I want you to read, I want you to see this. This is Isaiah, the prophet, chapter nine. You've heard this. There's a big song that's pretty popular. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You have to understand that this was a prophecy about a Messiah that happened hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus actually came. And this is one of the verses that the ancient... um, the ancient rabbis would refer to as they waited for this Messiah. They're like, now wait a second. There's, there's supposed to be this coming person. There's supposed to be this thing that saves us all. And, and this isn't the only one. There are other prophecies that go along with this. This just happens to be the most popular one. And they look at these and, they, and they're excited about this. And yet they waited and they waited for this coming Messiah. And there have been questions like, well, is he actually going to show up? And of course, you know the rest of the story. You know all of it. The other day when I was preparing for this, um, I just, I, like I often do, I just said, hey, Lord, what is it that you want to save to thrive? What do, what do you want to say to the, the people who call Thrive home for this message? And sometimes, sometimes I don't really get anything, <laughs> but this time it was very clear. I heard him say, I'm coming. Wow, really? I mean, yeah, I understand that. I mean, I understand that, you know, you're coming in the um, sort of, you know, apocalyptic end of time sort of thing. And I didn't get that sense at all that that's what he was talking about. He was, he just said, I'm coming. And it, and it struck me as, as we kind of think through the busyness of the season. In your busyness, he is coming. And maybe for you, um, there's some, some stress. In your stress, he is coming. In your anxiety, he is coming. In your joy, he's coming. In your hurt, your pain, yeah, he's still coming. In your shame, those things that keep coming up over and over again that you just as soon forget, he's coming. Every step of this process is he's coming to deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with. He's coming. He's going to meet you where you are and you have to remember the Prince of Peace is for you. Not some group of people, not historical, but for you, wherever it is that you are, he's coming.
So today is Family Sunday, as you can tell. And one of the things that we do uh, on our Family Sundays is we, we participate in communion together. I've, uh, I've come to really enjoy um, how we do this as a church family. So you'll notice uh, in the back there's a table. And there's two sides to it, by the way. You can choose either side. It's fine. But when you go up, you can take um, some bread and you can dip it in the, in the juice. And you can take and you can eat it. And, and you can do it right there at the table if you want to. You can go off to the side, do it as a family. I love when people do that. I think that's really cool. Or if you want to bring it to your seat, I want it to be meaningful for you and her. But I want it to be meaningful. And as we, as we begin this holiday season together, this season of Advent, when you take it, I want you to not, to not just think in terms of the coming baby because there's also a coming cross. And you know what? There's also an empty tomb that's coming. And so when you take that, I want you to remind yourself that he's coming. Whatever's going on in your life, he's coming. And he's going to meet you right there. And that we are eating and drinking the Prince of Peace together. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he passed it to his disciples and said, take and eat. Every time you do this, I want you to remember me. And then after the supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he passed it to his disciples and said, take and drink. And every time you do, I want you to remember me. The bread and the juice is there for you because Jesus is there for you. 